0: Welcome to What's Your Beef. What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cuddihy and this is What's Your Beef, Proudly supported by the Suncorp Bank. Remote sensors on livestock is one of those things that in 1984 you would have thought impossible, and today we're almost spoiled for choice. But like any technology, how much further can we take it and what's its potential? Mark Trotter is a researcher leading Central Queensland University's Precision Livestock Management Team. His specialist area is the development and evaluation of on-animal sensors, such as smart tags, to improve monitoring and management of individual animals for production, health and welfare issues. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark.
1: No worries. Lovely to be here.
0: (laughs) That's always helpful. Where did your interest in livestock research begin? Yeah,
1: so I um, was very fortunate to to grow up on a farm. So I'm from the mid north coast of New South Wales, um, west of a little town called Warhope, and uh, I grew up on a dairy farm there. Uh,
0: we and, won't hold that against uh, you.
1: <laughs> well, I sort of i I do joke occasionally and say I'm a bit of a dairy farm refugee. That that looked like <laughs> a pretty hard slog, um, yeah. and it is hard work. And so I escaped and and got into research, which which turns out to be some days I think I'd, I'd rather be um, putting cups on cows, but um, <laughs> it's it's pretty good though.
0: What took you to that field? You said, you know, you grew up in dairy and, and you obviously went in, and uh, to uni and studied and, and did something but still remained in the agricultural sphere.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, absolutely
0: loved agriculture right from the get-go and and particularly
1: beef as well beef production so the rest of my family my extended family my grandfather and uncles all had beef operations around at Hastings in the Maclay Valley and uh, I grew up working on them so I have some very fond memories of riding horses around um, in the upper Maclay Valley chasing cattle out of the scrub uh, and uh, I you know also got involved I as a kid, had my own little Devon cattle stud. Uh, wanted to be a Santa Gertrudis breeder, but I, I couldn't quite afford it, afford a Santa Gertrudis stud at that time. So, but I got into the Devons and and uh, did a little bit of breeding with with those cattle as when well. When you were
0: a kid, how did you have that conversation with your parents? Which obviously was quite different to the dairy farm and what else you were doing.
1: They they are wonderfully patient people, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I was probably a little bit of an eccentric kid and always wanted to try and do new things, and they were very, certainly very patient and supportive of, of a lot of the, the weird and, and wonderful ideas that I, I came up with as a child. Um, I kind of want to know yeah. some
0: more now. This sort of leaves <laughs> the lemonade stand for dead, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, there's there's certainly some, some strange ideas, and um, that's actually one of the great um, things about getting into research, and I, I guess that's probably why I ended up here is because you can – you know, try and test out new things and see whether they work or if they fall over and fail. And, and that's essentially what I, you know, spend my my days doing now. Yeah, so in terms of, I guess, how I ended up as a researcher, I, I went away to university, uh, went to UNE in, in Armidale and studied real science there. Uh, and then I went, went out into the industry for a little while um, in agribusiness. So I was a banker, agribusiness banker, for a little while. And, and that, that taught me a lot about how, farming operations actually work and the money side of things which I didn't understand Uh, and then always wanted to get back into into research and so I had the opportunity to do that was offered a PhD at um, UNE so I went back to back there and and did my PhD and when I finished that up I saw I guess what was happening in precision agriculture in the cropping industry and the developments that, that had been made in that sector and I looked and I thought Holy smokes, if we could take some of the thinking and the tools that's being applied there and bring that particularly into the grazing systems, that's that's going to make some some really big differences. And, and one of my first jobs was developing GPS tracking technologies for cattle in a, in a research context for a research project. But as soon as I'd done that, I, it really clicked with me that the potential, if we can take this from a research tool and put it into the hands of producers as a producer tool, the potential for this is just enormous. The value that we can get out of the data that can be generated from these sort of devices will be uh, across a range of different applications to have an enormous impact. And and I'd sort of, at that point then I said, right, this is for me, I'll, I'll, I jumped in and have sort of been working in that space ever since. Yeah.
0: So what happened to, you know, your supervisors? What was that first conversation like when you were like, this is amazing, it's got great potential. What were those initial reactions?
1: Well, yeah, so I was actually working in the physics department down at UNE, <laughs> of, <course you> <laughs> of, all, of all places down there. But we, we, um, we had some research projects working with some uh, leading um, producers uh, down there, Twinum Ag and Sundown Pastoral at the time. And so, you know, they that, that, that were supporting and driving the research agenda. And they also could see the value of this sort of technology um uh, for their operations in the industry more broadly so it's not it's not too hard a conversation to have with the boss when um you've got you know you know good industry partners driving the agenda
0: how long have you been working in this space
1: that's a really good question i'd say i'm just looking at the year (laughs) trying to do some quick math
0: over over 10 years Let's, let's say over a
1: decade
0: over a decade so what have you seen in that time when you first started researching and and thinking about the potential of, of these kind of technologies what have you seen in that decade
1: yeah so when when I started things
0: like GPS
1: tracking and accelerometer smart tags and stuff like that they were really only being used in the context of research so a scientist somewhere might was asking a research question and they you know they bought these tools and and, and put them on animals and, and watch them where they went across the landscape.
0: So to, that's like grazing answer. patterns and um, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there were all sorts of research questions being asked using the tools. But in that time, in the last decade, it's really clicked um, at a number of different levels across the industry, um, the potential for this, the, the sort of data that these systems generate for helping producers make management decisions that will, you know, either drive production, reduce costs or or increase sustainability. And so, and that's been my primary interest is um, uh, sort of looking at value propositions, um, developing uh, behavioural algorithms um, to deal with the data uh, and helping the commercial companies as much as we can that are trying to, to bring this, you know to re- to a real product that can be bought off the shelf at an affordable price, um, and that's the big change to go to to go from a straight research tool to something that's actually going to be uh, effectively used by producers.
0: What are you working on right now?
1: Yeah, so we've got a number of different projects uh, testing and evaluating some of the commercial tags that are coming through and providing some feedback to those
0: developers. How many different t- tags, because you, you, you sort of think that there can't be too many variants because, you know, a cow is a cow is a cow. So how many different variants do you reckon there would be on the market? In terms
1: of commercial products, there's probably about a dozen or so companies across Australia and the globe that are looking to develop a technology that allows you to get some sort of real-time information off your cow and behaviour data. Um, and there, you know, there's a range of different form factors. Uh, so a form factor is a fancy way of saying is it in a collar, is it an ear tag or is it a leg tag? Mm. And w- one thing that's worth noting in this is if there's any dairy farmers listening to this, they'll know that there's a lot of people out there already using uh, collars and ear tags and leg tags in the dairy industry. Mm. Uh, they've been around for quite some time as so That's well huge
0: over. in that sector
1: yeah well over 20 years and the real driver for that is been around um detecting estrus to to be able to better time when you ai your cow mm-hmm. and look and that's and that's having some great impacts in the dairy industry for sure and they're, they're also going on and using it in more advanced ways for is it subclinical disease detection early detection of things like mastitis in particular but the The challenge is translating that into the beef industry where you have extensive grazing systems. And so a dairy cow is coming up to the bales to be milked once or twice a day, Um, and uh, you can get the data off this device quite a lot easier when they're close by. And so that's why these tools have been available in the dairy industry for a lot longer um, than, than our more extensive grazing industries where you've got to try and get that data off that cow when she is you know, 20, 30, 40, 50K away from any sort of, you know, base station tower that can receive the data
0: yeah, uh, absolutely. on the ground. So what, what's the potential for that uh, sector, then, those broadacre, much bigger operations in beef?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's pretty significant uh, in terms of the value that it'll bring to the industry. And, it, and, and one of the key things to understand is it's not necessarily about one specific application. So I always talk about the the information that producers need is um, location. So where is that animal? Um, B its behaviour, what it's doing, and then C say so it's it's physiological state. Is it in a an appropriate state of health? Is it you know is it calving? Is it experiencing some sort of disease problem? So those if we can get those three bits of information remotely coming out of the, the paddock. Uh, there is a range of different value propositions that that are made available to a producer. And so simple things, if you're talking like really large extensive grazing operations, so Northern Australia, just knowing where your animals are um, remotely will allow you to go and target um, muster. And so you're not having to put helicopters up for nearly as much time and you can actually just bring those animals in because you know exactly where they are. And, and certainly in some of the early... Uh, prototype systems that, that we've seen being tested There's a producer over in WA who rather than um, actually going out and, and mustering he was just waiting for animals to come onto the water point and when he saw he had enough there from the tracking devices he'd just drive out and pull them off that water point and run them back to the yards and so it actually changed the way he managed his animals um, and it made him a lot more efficient, and, and that—that's the—that's almost like the simplest application of these sort of technologies. And then you get all the way up to the more advanced. And and there's a, between the simplest application and the more advanced, you know, you've got things like um, stock theft detection. You know, you can actually detect when animals are being mustered, and if that's not you mustering them, yeah, yeah you've got you, a problem you've, there. You've, yeah, yeah, you've got a problem.
0: <laughs> you, need, you need to get out there
1: yeah yep um and uh then you've got things like disease detection, and we've just actually just published a paper with some researchers I work with in New mexico New Mexico State University Derek Bailey over there looking at um the re- the reaction of cattle when the water trough fails okay. and so and it's not rocket science, we all know if that water trough fails, those cows will hang around there for a lot longer, kicking around looking for it to you know mm. looking for water. Mm. And then obviously they'll head off and go hunting elsewhere if there's another water source that they're familiar with. But that sort of information we can tell what's going on with the asset in this situation, the water trough, because of the behaviour of the cow. And uh, we can get that data back, you know, in real time. Then you've got an alert to say, hey, you've, you know, this the cows are behaving like this water trough's failed um, and, it, and and it's run dry. And so. Slightly, a little bit more complicated, but there's certainly some value in that. And then all the way up into the reproductive efficiency stuff. And so we've got research projects going now where we're looking at detecting calving events in cows using the sensors. And that looks really quite um, positive in terms of the results we're getting there. And so in some situations where you say can intervene, you might be able to get a, a text message to say, you know, cow number 328 currently. Carving, and looks like there's some problems, there's a dystocia based on her behaviour. Here's where she is, here's the location you can go out and find her. And that And that's certainly going to be a benefit to particularly, you know, seed stock producers or high value animals. In some situations, you're not going to be able to intervene uh, because of the landscapes. But, you know, at the end of the season with these sensors, we'll be able to actually say, look, you know, here's where things went wrong in your carving program you actually had this much nastasia or this is how many calves were actually born, hit the deck um, and got up, but, you know, they died within a week or something like that or within 48 hours. And and actually the data that you can get out of this is going to allow us to really see where things are going wrong or going right in, in your production system where you just don't, we don't have visibility of that. Um, there's a lot of mystery as to why, you know, some animals just don't turn up at the yards the next go round.
0: What's the uptake? So, you know, you've just listed off a huge amount of, um, you know, areas that people could be taking advantage of this technology. What is the uptake currently for smart tags in the beef industry?
1: Yeah, so look, it's, this area is constantly evolving, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so things ch- chop and change really quite relatively quickly. Um, right now, all of the major companies that are out there developing tech are, uh, sort of got deployments out there, so they're out on, on cows in a more sort of a, a last phase um, sort of testing phase, uh, so you know, early commercialization trials. There's nothing uh, that you can absolutely, or certainly that I'd recommend right now to go off and buy off the shelf and, and run out and put across every cow in your herd. Uh, and certainly in, in that context, what I, you know, my general recommendation at the moment is to say, look, if you're interested in this space, you know, get in contact with one of the companies that's out there and start a conversation with them because they're looking for people who want to try and test their technology um, and um, those early and those early stage sort of evaluations. Um, and so that's sort of where it's at. But you know, th- this this sort of area changes really quite quickly, and and it will be interesting to see what's happening at Beef because I know several of these companies are going to be coming with some. Potentially some big announcements about where they're up to.
0: Yeah, I reckon there's there's actually yeah there's a quite a lot in the pipeline. And what are people's main hesitations or producers' main hesitations about it? Is it mainly cost?
1: Yeah, going forward, so when we get to the point where we've got systems out there that are readily available and proven, there's going to be a few key issues like retention retention rates. If if you're looking at an ear tag form factor, so we all know there's you know some challenges around. Keeping um, simple analysed tags or visual tags in, in ears uh, at the best of times. And so these tags aren't necessarily, or certainly aren't lighter than those. And so retention rates um, are still got to be, there's still got to be a fair bit of work looking at that and evaluation over the long term, I think, to test that out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the cost of the device for sure, but you know that cost of the device has really got to be weighed against the benefits that you're going to get out of it and for some situations the the dollar value in terms of say increasing productivity or reducing costs i think will be quite significant um yeah so we're looking at we did some really uh what's some preliminary modeling and you're looking at around about you know sort of four or five percent um increases in productivity and two to three percent cost savings um using this technology across all the different applications that might be you know relevant to your to your business.
0: Okay. Well, no, that sounds fair enough. How do you educate um, producers or, I guess, the market on some of these new technologies? Because that would be, with so much new data and research coming through, the water could get a bit muddy sometimes, I'd imagine. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so one of the, I guess, the key challenges is that um, across the whole sort of, uh, across every ag tech sort of domain whether it's drones or smart tags or a whole you know robotics whatever it happens to be there's always a lot of hype to start and that's no different with this particular field and I guess one of the things I try and talk to people about um is uh, understanding that, that the tech companies are often startups that are doing this and, and they've got to go out and you know chase funding to get their stuff going and so they have to, um, I guess, sort of rev up the, the, the value proposition and the potential. And um, that's no different across this particular space com- compared to any other sort of technology development. Um, and they've got to go through a development phase and they've got to be able to, you know, test and evaluate that their technology. And so I always sort of suggest to people that, you know, obviously don't believe everything you hear mm-hmm. um, and don't certainly don't go jumping in say whole hog thinking you're going to go and buy uh, a tag for every cow where you can. And this is something that we've done some economic modeling of it. If you are thinking about, you know, getting into smart tags or some sort of technology like that, just buy in small, buy a handful of the devices if you can and just, just try them out and you'll actually find that there are the benefits. Even if you're only tracking a handful of your animals, you'll actually be able to get value out of that. Um, small number of um, animals being tracked just simple things like understanding where animals are grazing relationships um, between um, say um, animal behavior and the feed base so we've done a bit of work in this space as well where we're looking at I mean essentially using the, the, the cow as a bit of a sensor for what's happening out in the paddock and you know as that feed base decreases as you start running out of pasture that grazing time will rapidly increase and there's also some changes with pasture quality as well that we're interested in, and and that you don't need to have every animal tracked in your herd to start looking at that sort of data and that sort of relationship. Uh, but I guess the key message is uh, maybe reduce expectations and go into this thinking of it as as a research relationship with any any company because um, that's sort of where we're at at, at the moment, and uh, we still have a bit of work I think yet to do to to really um, have something that's um ready to go from you know for the whole for the whole industry
0: that's good advice i'd say now i want to change tack a little bit you're awarded a very prestigious fulbright fellowship um doing research over in the us and just before covid hit by the looks of it too so you managed to sneak in there quite nicely got in and out so tell us about that what were you looking into over there yeah so it
1: actually relates to that feed base um, area that we're talking about before uh, one of the things that I'm really quite interested in, and we know particularly in southern systems and I think increasingly in northern systems, a big profit driver for the beef industry is pasture utilisation. How much grass are we turning into beef? Mm-hmm. And there are some key decisions and it obviously depends on where you are regionally in your, your grazing system and your pastures and whole of stuff like that. But key decisions about stocking rates and moving cattle grazing rotations and then supplementation as well. And so that Fulbright project, I was overworking uh, in New Mexico, actually in Arizona, but based out of New Mexico State Uni, and then also up in Ohio. up And so two very different areas. Arizona's like um, Mitchell Grass, sort of plains type, Area looks like that, like the Barclay or something like that. Yeah. And Ohio looks something more like Tasmania, <laughs> I like. think. Um. So absolutely. I was actually working amongst Amish farms in Ohio, which is just a completely – that's a whole other story in itself, yeah. watching the bikes till their country. I was going big- to say,
0: I feel like we could spend quite a bit of time on that, really, we? <laughs> Yeah,
1: watching them cut hay with big Belgian heavy horses. And, <laughs> My uh, goodness. I, I in another side note, I ended up at a Belgian heavy horse sale with, the, with a whole bunch of Amish. Which is, really? That's a, that's a whole other story, yes.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That would have been I a brilliant experience. Oh, absolutely. I was trying to work out how I could pack a couple of
1: Belgian colts in my suitcase <laughs> and bring them <laughs> home they are a little bit big. Yeah, no but, um, Yeah, so and the, all, that project then, we were looking at how do you integrate the remote sensing data? So there's a whole bunch of satellites floating around over the top of the earth, um, measuring things like characteristics about the feed base, but they're a bit limited um, in terms of the data you can get out of them. But if we can use the cow as the sensor as well, so that, that cow behaviour changing with the amount of feed that's available and the quality of the feed that's available, that's another key one. Pull all that together, and I there's some, there's some really good opportunities to help refine grazing management decisions particularly. And, uh, and the key thing there is it, you're getting this data from the paddock in areas that you can't necessarily go and you're getting this data every day
0: well yeah and it's three different data points then too that's a hell of an algorithm to put all of that together
1: yeah absolutely and so that's that that that's what my project was about is developing the algorithm to look at how you integrate those to turn it into something quite useful basically so yeah
0: and how did you go like i guess you know that that Ended, that opportunity ended. Does that continue, that work?
1: Yeah, look, we're hoping – well, we're certainly hoping to continue it here. We're just chasing around for some funding at the moment. Um, the stuff that we did in Ohio was really interesting. We were able to – so with the sensor data, so this is the cow behaviour data and the and some um, vegetation sensor data, we were able to detect um, – uh, the the day those animals should be in this case it was rotational grazing so this mm-hmm. is like a fescue high input pasture. Yeah. The day and the day before that those animals should be rotated to the next paddock as defined by um, an expert producer. So we're using a uh, a, a college farm yep. who, who had a manager there who was sort of recognised for his good grazing management um, and essentially we we're able to to mimic his decision-making process it actually brings up a really good point um that this sensor data there's a there's occasionally you will hear people say oh you know the sensor data is going to replace the producer's decision making process and i just i cannot see that happening
0: that was Certainly my next question who was time. smarter the computer or the or the phone? Oh, no, who got it right
1: no. Livestock manager, because your point before you mentioned, you know, that's three data, three points of data coming into the algorithm. That's great. But when a a good grazing manager walks out into a party, he, he, she, they're looking at like so many different data points are coming into the decision that they're going to make. A couple of the key ones are how much feeds in that paddock? What does it look like? And what's the behavior of my animals? And that's what we're mimicking with the sensors, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so much more coming into it. To, for them to make the decision about where they're going to move those animals or what supplement they're going to put up to make put out to make up for a, a deficiency, and so I I certainly in the short term and the medium term and probably the long term I can't see you know this idea of big data replacing good farm management um, decisions and good farm managers because. It is just such a complicated biological system um, that grazing managers operate within. You know, they're trying to integrate a, a soil system with soil moisture and a whole heap of variability there with the plant system and a whole heap of variability there with an animal and an animal production system and a whole heap of variability there and a climate weather system. And so really it's, I, I don't see this, these sort of tools replacing um, good managers, I what I see is good managers being able to get data that they've never had access to before and then make even better decisions.
0: And improving That's, their own management decisions. Oh,
1: uh, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So Unless use it as a learning out, tool, not a replacing tool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're going to
1: learn – they're going to – I mean, and this is part of the joy of my job. I get to work with some of the leading producers across Australia and the world and, and we give them these da- these data sets or the data off their property and they actually go through it with us and they can see the value and the hi- they highlight all this stuff and this stuff comes out that I would never have thought of, <laughs> certainly. And um, they can see, you know, once we get this data coming in in a, in a real-time sort of format, um, the value that it's going to bring to their enterprise. The other other key Application that I can see is for a lot of, say, producers starting out, um, younger generation say, or people coming in from outside agriculture, the ability to use sensor data to sensor data to help them understand how their production system's working, but also um, guide their decision-making process as influenced by some sort of grazing management expert. So, in Ohio, one of the things we're looking at. So it's, beef industry in the US is quite interesting, particularly in Ohio, there, there are quite a large number of small producers, so somewhere between say 10 and 50 head of cattle. And they're obviously working off farm and that's actually makes up an enormous part of the industry there. So it's actually quite a, an important, um, uh, I guess, producer group, um, but then they're rarely on farm. You know, they, they don't get out to check what's going on that often. Uh, and so one of the things we're looking at is how can we use sensor data, say, on their animals and then match that with a really good grazing manager? So at the college, on the college farm where we're working with a really good grazing uh, manager and, and essentially um, when he said these animals should be moving based on the sensor data coming off his animals, so if you were Joe Blow, the washing machine mechanic um, yeah. that was um, had 12 cows or 50 cows or something, and you had some sensors on there, then you would get a, a text message to say, hey, you know, the, the good grazing manager at the college has just moved his cows and yours are starting to look like they're behaving in the same way. Maybe you should think about moving them or supplementing them or, or whatever it happens to do. And so actually using the sensor data to extend the skills of really good operators across a whole uh, bunch of people who are either part-time producers or, you know, just entering the industry, and I think there's some – some pretty neat opportunities in in that that space as well.
0: Wow, you got your work cut out for you. I feel like you've just mapped out the next 15 years of your life, haven't you, trying to work <laughs> out all this. Thank you for such a, a fascinating look into to all of that. Um I guess Mark and you're based out of Rocky. So what does your beef 21 look like from there? <laughs>
1: I suspect it's going to be quite busy. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, look, we've got uh, we're going to have our stand uh in at uh, beef our little tent and so if uh, people are walking around make sure you, you drop in and um, we'll have some stuff there actually just talking about how this sort of technology will actually work um, and trying to just demystify a little bit of the um, uh, yeah I guess how that, how they're going to operate what their limitations might really be mm. um, and give you some information and some questions to ask if you are interested in getting involved in uh, testing out some of the, the technology, some early early deployment, early commercial deployments. You know, what are the questions you should ask your the, the provider that you you want to
0: um, partner with? Some nice practical information. Yeah, yes, hi, yeah, definitely.
1: Um, that's I mean, that's what we're really all about in terms of the beef research team at, at CQ Uni uh, Is actually, you know, <laughs> some, you know, we do some we do a little bit of blue sky science, but at the end of the day, if it's not going to increase the production or increase the price or reduce the cost or increase the sustainability of a of a beef operator then um, that's not the sort of research we do that's we are we're really targeting that sort of profit driven decision making research
0: oh, awesome well no make sure that you do pop in and see the team at CQ uni um, i reckon it'd be well worth your while now are you are you a cook uh, oh man <laughs> not Look, really Oh, no, 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 I, I yes, I'm going to
1: claim, I'm going to claim it. There's gonna <laughs> be like some this people. this is a very confused that, question. That, well, there's going to be some people out there that might roll their eyes.
0: Oh, <laughs> okay. okay, why, why? Yes, what?
1: I, d- I definitely, I do a lot, I do a fair bit of meat, protein-related cooking, yes.
0: Protein-related <laughs> cooking. Okay, so what's your go-to cut of beef?
1: Oh, okay, brisket. Brisket, so great. I am a mad keen barbecue, American barbecue or slow cook sort of person. So, oh, nice. if you can track down a bit of MSA uh, brisket, MSA-grade yeah. brisket, so don't think you can go and cut this out of an old cow. Yeah. Um, but get yourself a bit of MSA-graded brisket mm. and um, slow cook that. Uh, bit of salt, bit of barbecue rub. Um, mm. You can buy them at your um, big brand store. Yeah. Slow cook that for, you know, a good six, eight hours or something like that and uh, bring that out. I don't – there is just nothing better than than a really nicely cooked be- bit of beef brisket.
0: Yeah, look, I'm firmly in that camp myself. I am quite, quite love a good brisket and I've taught – I feel like I've had a real triumph in the last six months. I've got three sisters. Two of them are are pretty useless in the kitchen and they're probably not going to listen to this, so I can say that. But I've got one to cook a brisket really well and I'm very proud of myself and her, but we've got there. There's been lots of text messages. I've sent her like rubs and instructions and all sorts of things, but we've got there and I couldn't be prouder.
1: Excellent.
0: (laughs) Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, Mark. It's been a really pleasure having a chat and we'll see you at Beef21. Excellent. See you there. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.